Hey, it's me, Ethan. Welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers. And before we get started today, I just wanted to suggest to you, our dear listeners, to check out our Patreon page. Uh, it's at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. And every other week, we release a new episode um, for our Patreon subscribers. It's only $5 a month. It gets you two extra episodes a month. And some of our best episodes have been on the Patreon site, some of our favorite things that we've done. Most recently, we did Dark Knight. It's a great one. Check it out. Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Also, we'd like to ask you to take just a couple of minutes, especially if you're on an iOS device because they've made it really easy in the app now for you to rate and review our podcast. Please, please, please. It helps us out. It lets other people know about us. It helps move us around on the charts. So please take a second to rate and review our podcast. And as always, thank you so much for listening to There Will Be Spoilers. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. I'm Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And this week, we watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's number 73 on AFI's Top 100 Films. Ethan. Matt. This film came out in 1969. 1969. Do you know what else came out in 1969? Tell me, Matt. The Wild Bunch. Oh, interesting. A film we've already seen. Yes. Another Western. And spoilers, everyone dies at the end of both these films. That's true. Spoilers, I liked this film better than The Wild Bunch. (laughs) Yeah, I'm interested to talk more about that. But first, I think we need to turn to our plot synopsis. Yeah, let's do it. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is the story of two crafty bank robbers. Butch Cassidy, the leader of the Hole in the Wall gang, is a smooth talk and wisecracker, while the Sundance Kid is a crack shot. I said crack a lot in that sentence. The film (laughs) begins with the two of them casing a bank in order to rob it. When they return to their hideout, Cassidy's leadership is challenged. He defeats his opponent through trickery and decides to steal the man's idea, which is to rob the Overland Flyer train twice. The first robbery goes well, but during the second one, another train arrives with a gang to hunt down Cassidy and the kid. The gang has the help of a Native American tracker named Lord Baltimore and relentlessly hounds the two men. They attempt to avoid capture by enlisting in the army to no avail and are chased to a cliff. The men jump off into the river to avoid capture. When they return to the kid's girlfriend, Etta's house, they discover that the men were hired by E.H. Harriman, whose money they've stolen from the train to hunt them down and kill them. The three decide to run to Bolivia, where they can start their lives over. They make it, but it is not the bank robber's paradise they thought it would be. After learning some Spanish with the help of Etta, the three begin robbing banks successfully. However, they see someone wearing the signature hat of Joe LaFors, who was part of the gang that was tracking them, and they fear for their lives. The two men try to go straight by working as payroll guards, but their boss is killed in front of them. They ambush the robbers and take the money back, but we learn at this moment that Cassidy has never shot anyone. Etta decides to leave them to go back to the States as she fears that the two men will be killed and she can't bear to see it. 
The two men rob another set of payroll men, taking their mule with them. When they arrive at a small town, the mule is recognized, and they are pinned down in a gunfight. They hold their own, but are eventually wounded badly. The Bolivian army arrives, and the film ends with the two men leaping out from their hiding place to the sounds of gunfire, and it's a still shot, a still image. Yeah, still image of them rushing out. I think the last lines are, did you see full fours out there? And he's like, LaFours? No. And he says, oh, great. I thought we were in some real trouble there. And they yeah. rush out. And then, like, the entire Bolivian army, it seems like, hails, like, I think it's like three volleys of gunfire on them. Yeah, and they're clearly shot dead. I have a question for you, though, just before we jump into this. Did, did you have subtitles on the Spanish in yours? No. So I didn't that either. Was something okay. I wanted to mention. Okay. They're in Bolivia, which, as a side note, all the Bolivians have a Mexican accent in this film. Just kind of a weird yeah. thing but in any case they didn't subtitle any of the spanish which yeah. i actually found to be a really good choice because yeah, you are similarly isolated as butch cassidy and the sundance kid or True. as if the original casting had gone through it'd be the sundance kid and butch cassidy because it would have been steve mcqueen playing the sundance kid and he's oh. the more he's a bigger star than paul newman but since paul newman's a bigger star than robert redford at this point it's butch cassidy and the sundance kid So throughout your plot synopsis, I wanted to say so many things, not because any of it was wrong. I think all of this was right. It's just that this film had so many things that were interesting to me. I think this is so infinitely quotable. There's so many good quotes here. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of epitomizes the buddy comedy, action buddy comedy, you know, that we see so in such prevalence today in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there's, you know, that plot synopsis is pretty quick and and thin but there is there are so many levels and so many layers throughout with these two characters that are it's and it's also this movie's just it's got some bizarre wild moments like the bicycle scene yeah where paul newman which is butch cassidy is just driving around at a on the front of the bicycle and it's all like semi sexual right where yeah we know etta is sundance kids woman i hate to use that term but that's the way they describe her it's his girlfriend right and she even asked at the end of the the bike ride like what if we had seen each other first don't you think we'd be together and it's like that strikes me just a really wrong way i don't know it's just like (laughs) they're so close to being a love triangle and it's it's very odd we get that in the montage that sepia soaked montage when they're Mm -hmm. going to bolivia on the cruise ship or the steamship down to bolivia and you see them all together all the time all the time yeah. There's just one little moment, a couple shots where Paul and Newman sitting alone while they're dancing on the ballroom floor. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, that's more, you know, more in my comfort zone. But when they have <laughs> the three of them always together and each of them are kissing her, and it's just, it's just an odd thing to me. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think the implication is, is that she's just not the Sundance kid's girlfriend. Right. Well, I mean, she's not. Oh, so a couple things. First, I was kind of surprised the movie kind of got me when Sundance is leaving. Says, "I'm gonna go find a woman. Shouldn't take too long. I'm not picky. She needs to be refined and smart, pretty, right. and all these things, carefree." And then he shows up, and she's taking her clothes off because she's got home from work or whatever, getting ready for bed. And he pulls a gun on her and says, "You know, undress." And I was yeah, like, "Whoa, who is this character? I thought he was a good guy, you know?" Right. But it turns out they just got some kink in their relationship. Yeah, and she's, you know. This, this film is full of stuff like that, which I really like. But the the other sort of side of this is that she's 26 years old. She's a school teacher. And she says Sundance and Butch Cassidy have the only 
have the, have been the only excitement in her life. Mm-hmm. And so she'll go to Bolivia. She'll go down there. She'll translate for them. She'll help them rob banks. She will stay with them. But she won't see them die. She says, I'll miss that scene if you don't mind. And that's when, toward the end of the film, when she decides to leave after they've given up on the idea of going yeah. straight, she's admitting, like, look, I know you're going to die now, and I can't be here for this. Yeah. Ethan, what if I took us to our pivotal scene now and yeah, then maybe that. built to our themes out from there? So this film doesn't really have a, let's say, engaging or riveting plot. It has no, engaging really. and riveting characters. So yes. the pivotal scene is not really a scene by which the film pivots. It is a scene that we think, I think anyway, has the best representation of our characters. And it's something you mentioned in your plot synopsis. It's the scene where Butch Cassidy and the kid jump off the cliff into the water. Mm-hmm. Now, I picked this scene because we get a lot of comedy and humor, and we get that good back-and-forth banter that they have so well. And mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy. I think it's one of the strongest points of this film. So I'll go ahead and play this. There's not a whole lot going on. They've been cornered by LaFours and his posse and either have to shoot their way out, die, or jump off a cliff. The only Who are these guys? Yeah. The only hitch being that the kid can't swim, right? And right. so the way that Butch Cassidy gets him to jump off says, look, you'll probably, you'll probably die before you even hit the water, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so they end up jumping off, and then they're bickering the whole way down the waterfall. But in any case, here's the scene. Who are these guys? Damn it! figure it, we can either fight or give. If we give, we go to jail. I've been there already. But if we fight, we stay right where they are and starve us out. Or go for position, shoot us. Might even get a rock slide started and get us that way. What else can they do? They could surrender to us, but I wouldn't count on that. They're going for position, all right? Better get ready. Kid? The next time I say let's go someplace like Bolivia, let's go someplace like Bolivia. Next time. Ready? No, we'll jump. Like hell we will. No, it'll be okay. If the water's deep enough, we don't get squished to death. They'll never follow us. How do you know? Would you make a jump like that and you didn't have to? I have to, and I'm not gonna. Well, we got to, otherwise we're dead. They're just gonna have to go back down the same way they come. Come on. Just one clear shot, that's all I want. Come on. Uh-uh. We got to. Nope. Get away from me. Why? I want to fight them. They'll kill us. Maybe. You want to die? Do you? All right. I'll jump first. Nope. Then you jump first. No, I said. What's the matter with you? I can't swim! crazy the fall will probably kill you So as you heard there, you know, they have this this lightning back and forth banter. And they're both well-defined characters in that Butch Cassidy is the more wily 
brains of the operation. And as we yes. learn later, like you mentioned, he's never shot anybody. He's never had to resort to violence in that way. He has other people do it for him. Where the kid is, he's not just a shooter. He's still got, he's a wisecracking shooter. But he's mostly the gun, right? And he's a, he's yeah, very, he's very muscle. good. They have a good relationship in that they both bounce off each other. And, and they fight a lot, as we see. And they're fighting yes. pretty much until the end of their lives. But I think it's really representative of these characters, these well-drawn characters. Do you have any themes for us, Ethan, that we can talk about? I have a couple, and I think we've talked a little bit about this idea of, I mean, it's this is a body comedy. It's a, the, the friendship and this teamwork, this back and forth is, is huge. But we've spent, we've spent a, I mean, that's not, there's not much to say other than that, maybe. I don't know. But I think maybe we could talk about the idea of a second act in life. The writer, I can't remember his name right now. It's William Goldman. William Goldman. Who also wrote The Princess Bride. Oh, that makes which sense. Which is a movie I saw last month as well. So oh, wow. that's on my mind. <laughs> Look at you, Matt. But he talks, there was some interview where he talks about the idea of like a second act in life, right? Like people don't get second acts. This is just, your your life is, it just goes and it, it, it ends, right? And he really liked the idea of Butch Cassidy and, and the Sundance Kid because they do get a second act, right? They're like they're really kind of at the end of their bank robbing career in America and they make it to Bolivia and get a whole nother go at it. And Butch Cassidy in particular keeps talking about how like he's, what does he say? It's not, he doesn't say something about being worn down, but he talks about like being over the hill or something like that. And he's always telling the Sundance kid, like I'm over the hill and you're almost there. And they get to start over. They get to have one more chance in Bolivia, which I think is interesting. The direct quote from Butch Cassidy is, every day you get older. Now that's a law. Yeah. Which is interesting because they're criminals, right? And so they constantly refute the law by breaking them. (laughs) But in this case, that's one they can't break, right? The the immutable law of aging, right? And Butch Cassidy says, I'm over the hill. And then at the first first scene, which is also sepia, where Butch Butch Cassidy and Sundance are in the bar and, and Sundance is betting and the guy calls him a cheater and wants to draw on him and he says well let's leave sundance and he's like whoa i didn't know you were the sundance kid and then yeah. they, they all freaked out and he shoots his gun like away and up against the wall and stuff it's like kind of incredible shooting and then butch cassie says i told you getting older <laughs> as if he yeah. could be any better than that right so yeah I, I i think that's you know an important thing and maybe this will lead into another theme that i think is important in this film which is being hounded both literally being hounded by by people like being hunted down and also being hounded by your past which i think is a really good metaphor here with lafours and lord baltimore right these mm-hmm. bank robbers are trying to leave some sort of their past by- or, i mean they literally want to leave that part of their past behind they don't want to get caught but it you can't it's it's your actions have consequences and they catch up with you eventually well it's interesting because they leave a part of that past but they don't leave the fact that they are bank robbers right behind. so they are continuing one part of their past which means that they can't they're not they've not made a clean break and so they won't escape right. we know this because they refuse to change even when etta in the scene before she decides to leave saying look okay there's different ways of going straight right you, you can't you don't just have to be bodyguards and the reason they changed is because they killed six men and their boss died and, you know, none of them really had a pleasant experience with it, right. as we can see, by a look in their face, right? It's all communicated to us non-verbally. It's not really, right. you know, text necessarily. So 
Etta says, you could be a rancher. And he's like, well, we've tried ranching back in our wrestling days. and wasn't very good. The hours were long. It's not a lot of fun. So they pretty much just resigned to the fact that old dogs can't change their tricks, yeah. right? And, so. and, I li- and Butch Cassidy's response to that are basically like, eh, that's hard. Eh, that's hard. And like, that's, yeah. he's, like the, he's like, this is easy. And, I, and I'm good at it. And I want to keep doing it. Well, I think it's a matter of like them knowing who they are. Right, so yeah. kid is the fastest gun in the West or something. We don't ever hear that, but it seems to be the trope, right? He's the yeah. fastest gun in the West, and he's going to stick to it. He, he didn't learn anything else. These are a set of skills, and he's too old to change, right? That, yeah. or we just have dogs on the brain after the Dark Knight. <laughs> yeah, Those of you who haven't caught our Patreon episode, Ethan brought up a really astute theme of dogs and so being hounded and hunted right. and oh, dogs and old dogs new tricks all these yeah. things might be on our minds a little bit i think so and i mean that i i think maybe this leads into a, a, just the last theme that i have prepared here is that there's sundance kid has a line about when at the at the end of the film when he's got to shoot for the boss to prove that he's a good enough gun. And the, this boss is like, here, shoot this thing. It's like a piece of wood or something. So he, he's, he's got to shoot this piece of wood, and the boss makes him stand in a certain place and puts the gun in his hand and, and tells him, don't do any fancy shit or whatever he says. He misses, and the Sundance kid says, can I, can I do it again, but can I move? And the guy's like, what? And he does it. He moves and shoots it, and bam, he gets it first try. Well, he shoots it off the ground, then blows it up in the air with his gun. The yeah. Shot. So it's kind of you know an amazing feat. He says, "I I do better when I'm when I'm moving or something like that." And I'm uh, better when I move is what he yeah. says. And this is this is their the mo of these two guys. I mean, they're they're all they can't stay in one place. They always have to be moving because they're being hounded. Right? They they have to go as far as to go to fucking Bolivia to to survive. And then even then, they're making plans to go to Australia. Right, exactly. They're about to die, and they're making these ridiculous plans to go to Australia. And it's only when they finally can't move anymore, they're literally pinned down, they've been hounded to the point that they're trapped, that they no longer survive. Yeah, it's move or die for them. And I want to return to something you said earlier about the second act, because this film is broken neatly in two, right? You have sepia-colored openings, right? We have them scouting banks and then... Uh, Sundance playing cards and then you have them traveling to Bolivia right parallel scenes in that way and then you have them running a bunch of jobs and there's kind of some happy music playing as they're being successful robbing things having fun right you know Woodcock the train guard guy representative (laughs) of Harriman and then running him to it twice it's very comical very funny yeah and them robbing the banks in Bolivia and then they're hunted, right? They realize things aren't as simple as it used to be. They're being hunted. They're being hounded. And then they get stuck in a position on a cliff or in an old abandoned church yeah. where they're going to have to fight or die. And in the first scene, they're able to jump off a cliff. Well, there's no cliff this time, right? Yeah. And so if they're not changing all of their past, right? They, they're moving locations, changing scenery, but they don't change themselves. They don't change their occupation of bank robbing then it's going to catch up to them, and it does. And it's not LaFour's and Lord Baltimore this time because the world is changing, right? So I think yeah. I actually want to take us to our theses, and mine, yeah. I think, really talks about these things. So what I'll call the incessant optimism of the Western bank robber fails in the face of modernization and innovation, right? There's 
a thematic reason like they are gunned down by an army right yeah. it's not a posse with these eccentric characters lafors and lord baltimore it's a faceless army right yeah though there is a perverse nobility in the bandit right we can think of the honor among thieves idea sundance and butch cassidy are still kind of good people right yeah and we get the idea very early on when butch cassidy asks the bank guard what happened to the old bank it was beautiful and the bank guard says people kept robbing it and he said butch cassidy responds small price to pay for beauty right yeah. so they've got a code of ethics they have this nobility about them so despite the perverse nobility of the bandit those nostalgic days are gone right they can't keep yeah. robbing banks like they used to time is caught up with them modernization is caught up with them and really they're a relic now and we yeah. see this happening in america so they moved to bolivia because it has not developed in the way america has and yet still right. they're gunned down there by a big faceless army because they can't keep doing the same things because times have changed. I mean, this is, and, and we see this happening with the Wild Bunch too, and this, that comes out the same year, right? These are people that are no longer relevant. And so, so mine is similar, right? Because I say that this is a film that never lets its main characters forget what they've done and that they're being pursued. You can't escape the past, uh, and they don't really want to, right? The two men have Right, to, they want to live in it. Yeah, they want to live in the past. They want to live in that nostalgia. And the, so they, the only way to keep that up is to just keep moving in order to stay alive. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And then finally, when they have nowhere left to run, they have to face the both their past and the changed reality, and it kills them, right? Like, they need forward movement because they're they're treading water. They're, you know, they're pedaling a stationary bike, and, and everybody's going past them. Yeah, I really like that. I like how you connected Sundance's shooting demonstration to... His very being, right? So I think yeah. it's smart. And I think that's intentional. I think the writer and the director, I think they know this stuff. And I think they're putting it into mm. it. Because the character is the most important part of this film. Whereas yeah. the story, it's really the same story twice, which is thematically important. But not necessarily engaging. Like a couple things, like the way that they're discovered in Bolivia, is they see the mines brand on the mule that they yeah. just failed to cover up. Which I maybe would have liked a little bit more if they had shown that marking or that brand being covered up and then it gets uncovered in the process mm -hmm. of the horses and the mules being put up but you know that's a small thing right in comparison to some of the other things that we've i mean we just did silence of the lambs that's extremely plot driven right you want to right. know what right and this is this is it's sort of a a series of vignettes almost where the you know it, it, we just want to see these two characters in the world and how they react uh, and their bickering and all of that. So I th and yeah. mostly reacting to each other, right? External right. stimulus provides them a chance to have these conversations. One of my favorite lines in the film is where they're gun where they're kind of pinned down from the army and they need to get to the horses to get the extra ammo so they can keep fighting. And Sundance says, "I'll go," and Butch Cassidy says, "This is no time for bravery." I'll let you, right? It's right. kind of a funny little inversion. And then we also learn more about Butch because he realizes, look, I could never give you accurate covering fire. I have to go. And so they have this they have this nobility, right? That that is so strange to see in these characters, but they're so endearing for it because yeah. we are loving these criminals who are abject criminals, right? Mm -hmm. They lie, steal, gamble, whore. And all of these things, murder. and yet, and murder, <laughs> right, exactly. And we are still on their side, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that just that just means they're well-drawn characters. So, Ethan, yeah. what do you think if we turn to our three questions now? L let's do it, Matt. So our first one is, do we care about this film? My answer is yes. And I come to this, uh, having watched this film 
or at least part of it before about a year ago and I was utterly bored and I didn't get it I wasn't paying close attention to be honest but I was like this is why is this I was kind of dreading actually watching it on the list and I think that and at the end of the day we do care about it if only for the fact that it is is really well done it's really well shot and you know it's it's another one it's it's that cluster of these cowboy movies that are you know bringing a, a close to the era of cowboy movies so I want to contextualize this a little bit. It, I mentioned earlier it came out the same year as The Wild Bunch. They have similar endings, maybe presenting similar themes, although I am, I think it's very clear that The Wild Bunch is far less nostalgic of the mm-hmm. West than Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is, right? They kind of yeah. trade on nostalgia where The Wild Bunch trades on the opposite of that, right? Like demystifying the West like we talked about in that episode. But yeah. I do care about this film because of the characters. I think the story is eh, whatever, but you want to see those characters navigate the situation. So it's kind of the idea of take these characters, put them in any situation, and I'm going to enjoy it because they react so realistically and they have such an interesting chemistry together. Yeah. I will also say that having seen this film, I maybe understand Blazing Saddles a little bit more, right? Because this <laughs> came out after that. So Yes. Uh, I think this really makes sense in the Western timeline of film for me now. Yeah. So I'll say, yes, I definitely care about this. Yeah, and we have to remember, too, that Butch, I mean, this idea of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, our modern understanding of them comes from this film, you know. As with most historical understandings, as it seems, right, is that we watch these film versions and we maybe absorb those a bit better than a dry history or a text. Yeah. For good or for ill, right? I think there's problems both ways, but... Obviously, I think it's pretty clear in American culture. We see a, a, a film that says the events that follow are mostly true, and we will believe right. them. Yeah. So, Ethan, what do we owe to this film? That final—this was hard. I was trying not to say it in the last question, as I always do. That last sequence of them in the, you know, like counting their bullets, getting ready to go. I mean, that's been parried, parodied and, and homaged to over and over and over. I mean, if you— I mean, you recognize that scene. At least I did. Yeah, I did as well. And I was like, this makes sense. This is so many TV shows and so many films. So certainly we owe that to to this film. And and maybe some of that back and forth between the, the, you know, these sort of less than savory characters. uh, They make me think of of like Han Solo or something like that. I was definitely getting some serious Han Solo vibes, yeah. Yeah, or even, I mean, this is Indiana Jones territory as well, right? Which, there's a lot of Harrison Ford here. Which is coming up in a couple episodes. Yeah, and so, you know, this there's there's something to that, I think, that has been imitated quite a bit. Not I'm not saying this is the originator of it, but certainly it's been imitated. I think this certainly helped popularize, if not help create the buddy action comedy, right? There's not many films on this list before this that we've really seen this as. I'm thinking maybe The French Connection has a little bit of that. Yeah, a little but bit. I didn't really feel the chemistry between those two characters as nearly as much as this. Now, I will say All the President's Men, you know, very different film. Also, Robert Redford had yeah. a very oh, good yeah. back and forth chemistry between two characters as well. And so maybe Robert Redford is is the secret weapon to get people to right. play well off each other. Uh, I've decided I really like Robert Redford now. Yeah, I like him a lot, and I didn't realize that I did. Uh, hey, but hey, don't don't talk shit about Silence of the Lambs. That was definitely a buddy comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I take a moment to think about that because I feel like you might actually mean it. <laughs> 
I mean, I could make an argument, but I won't. <laughs> right, well, because you're trying to make an argument out of everything. I think this film does definitely help cement, maybe is the way I want to put it, this idea of the action buddy comedy, which we see today. I think it was a last month or two. Was it Ride Along 2 or... It was some Kevin Hart film and yeah. is it Ice Cube and they're doing like you know <laughs> yeah. tough guy brains guy so that stuff continues today of course it's a it's a trope yeah. it's an effective one if it's done well it can be very successful and this film does it well so yeah it does let's turn to our third and final question and that is does this film hold up I, I'll say this though the Cowboys hairstyles are very 1970s like you can tell that it is 1969 and and their hairstyles and must that whole thing is yeah the mustache robert redford's mustache is still very much of the 20th century yeah so it's a it's a little dated just in in that aspect but i think in terms of the characters the characterization and and that and the, the sort of story it tells through those characters holds up really well. I laughed out loud quite a few times at this film and the cinematography is beautiful. It's got those, you know, that final end sequence that is just really well done or the beginning sequence where they're playing cards and it's that long, it just holds on his face. I think that that stuff looks, I mean, you could film that tomorrow and it would be just as good. I think a lot of the stuff does hold up. I'm not sure the sepia soaked scenes hold up necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I was worried that the entire film would be sepia soaked. Oh I God. think maybe you can do that in the second montage. The first one, maybe just give a couple of scenes, not that extended. It was nine minutes, nine and a half minutes before yeah. sepia went away. And so I think that's maybe a little bit overdone. I think that's maybe a little gimmicky now. I think a lot of the stuff they did, like the opening credit crawl where they had the bank robbery, well, a train robbery, and mm. it's Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid, and it's doing like the different sort of stop. You know the weird recording. Yeah, the the old timey. It's like da 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 and they're like on horses and moving very quickly because it's exactly. Yeah, I think also the soundtrack when they're doing the Bolivian bank robberies. It's like the sort of acapella instrumental, if that is a thing, and and that works really well. I think that's very well done. Yeah, and I think they do a lot of that's really nice stuff in terms of. They don't have any dialogue. They're obviously speaking, but you can't hear what they're saying because the music's yeah. playing. And I think that gives the film a lot of its strength because you can just imagine the back and forth between these characters because we know these characters by now. And I think that illustrates the strength of those characters by that point in the film. And the film knows it. So I think that holds up very well. I will say that one of my favorite scenes in this whole film is is bizarre and is, again, I think kind of a dated scene, but I love it because it just makes no fucking sense that it's in this movie, which is the bicycle scene because we're, they get on the bicycle and all of a sudden it's that fi- it's like raindrops keep falling on my head and it's like, it's like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, I don't know. I just took that to be, look, modernization is happening because he throws the bicycle away and they're going to Bolivia and says, he does. the future, you know, you bicycles can have it, right? So yeah, it's like the future is yours, bicycle. Yeah, because they're, they're about horses. So I, I took that to be like they are still living in nostalgia. And because one of the things about Australia is Australia has horses. We can go there. Right. And it's like they're refusing to modernize, right? And that's part of their death. Yeah, but it's just, it's bizarre that in that one... It is bizarre, yeah. That there's the, that there's a, like a 1960... I think that's probably from 69, that song. Or, six, you know, 68, 69, 67, something like that. And it, all of a sudden it's just in there. And they're like... And he's doing all this bicycle shit. And it's just like, what is going on here? 
it's a bit surreal and Paul Newman's character is doing like tricks on the bike and stuff yeah and then he has that that little back and forth with the bull oh yeah 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 I rewound that and laughed out loud because I was like what is happening in this fucking movie right now but I do think that that the the music there kind of dates it and it feels kind of like weird and 60s late 60s early 70s it's like kind of hippie weird shit that is like why is it in this film because it's 1969 and then also to finish up on this question i think the sound has probably aged pretty poorly it's not as clear whereas films that we've seen before this time or around this time seem to have done it better so i'm really not sure why that's the case that this one just maybe it just feels like it's degraded more for some reason but and and maybe that was on purpose i mean maybe that it was Maybe that was a choice, right? Sure, I could buy that. It's just a little more unpleasant for me as a viewer, I think. Yeah. Well, in any case, I think this film, it's all right. It's good. I liked it. I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I it, I would watch it again. Yeah, I expected to like it because of the whole Robert Redford thing we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think my expectations were, were disappointed in this sense. Yeah. So in any case... Next time on the AFI Top 100 list, we have 1994's Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Which, of course, I think I've seen something like eight times, but never, interestingly enough, from start to finish. It's one of those films you see on TV, catch different snippets of, and so I've probably seen it. It's always on fucking TV. It's always on like AMC or something. Yeah, anytime you're home to visit your parents, that shit's on TV. Yeah, exactly. And so I've never (laughs) sat down to watch it front to back so i'm interested to see how that kind of changed my idea of this film as opposed mm-hmm. to watching 24 segments to get like six to eight viewings in there somehow yeah. right so in any case we'll be watching that next week we'll be back on patreon with an episode for our patron of the arts we'll be there next week and then back here on the canonical list read to all but until then i've been matt Bazell and i'm ethan knight and there will be spoilers Spoilers keep falling on my head. Okay, I gotta stop. <laughs> there Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at Becca the Knight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much so ethan we're at the part of the episode where (laughs) you force me to pick alternate titles for the film we have watched (laughs) and what follows is a travesty. Okay, go ahead. Uh, my first one, Cowboys and Wisecracks. <laughs> I think Robbery Spanish, a correspondence course, is a pretty good title. <laughs> That's a good one. I, I like, um, this is my favorite one that I did. Always check your mule. <laughs>
Robert Redford 2. Robert Redford 2. <laughs> I have, I like this one. Strange bicycle subplot. Everyone dies in this one also. <laughs> Everyone dies in this one also. How can you be so obtuse? What did you call me? Obtuse. Is it deliberate? Get busy living or get busy dying. That's goddamn right. And to crawl to freedom through 500 yards of shit-smelling foulness I can't even imagine. Or maybe I just don't want to.